Hello, everybody, and welcome to the word of the Pray for us. <laughs> no, don't. The word on the hell doesn't pray for us. The word it's inanimate. Well, no, no, the Jesus word is living and alive. Yeah, the word. No, the word. I, I was thinking of the hill. The word. Dude, you the word is alive. The hill is not alive. It's anyway, we're the lanky guys. Well, the hills we are alive with the sound of music, though, dude. The hills are alive with the sound of lanky. <laughs> dude, I was going to sing that. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I'm sorry. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, I'm Scott Powell. And I'm Father Peter Musset. And we DJ are, Muss. DJ Muss. Well, no, dude, hold on. Um, because of last week's episode, I'm changing my oh. MC name to Lil Echo, dude. I'm going <laughs> I'm to be MC Lil Echo. It was reported to us that there was a Lil Echo on Father Peter's side of the recording last week. So he's now DJ Lil Echo. Oh, yeah. What up, Lil Echo? What up? Well, I'm not. Yeah, because that's the truth is I'm not really an MC. I'm a, I'm a DJ. I'm sorry. Did I call you MC? You call me DJ. Okay, and I call myself. You could be MC. the master of ceremonies, Dude, right? I, I mean, I could. I just didn't do whatever to. you want. It's fine. It's Lent. <laughs> it's Lent. You guys, we're coming <laughs> to you directly from Ash Wednesday. Do we are? And I, I'll tell you what. I am sick and tired of Lent. <laughs> oh no! Already times <laughs> no, are hard. I had a professor when I was an undergrad who every Ash Wednesday he would come in in the morning, throw his books down, and say, "I don't know about all of you, but I'm sick and tired of Lent." it's true ash wednesday is no fun man yeah it's it's about repentance and i realized that dude i need a lot of repentance man i'm a weak individual dude i i i even drank coffee today i mean like i was trying to withhold the coffee from the lank (laughs) and it didn't work oh no no i subsisted on virtually nothing but coffee today oh that's that's just disturbing actually i don't even yeah it was a constant flow oh man no meals but constant coffee you know what you know what jesus does i'm working hard over him constant flow he heals them (laughs) you just have to touch the hem of his garment and you will and you will be able to no longer have the constant flow of coffee that's kind of weird i mean like i think i'd see a doctor about that and jesus i hate the imagery (laughs) <laughs> More than I can tell you. <laughs> well, anyway. Anyway, um, for those of you listening. You know it's Ash Wednesday. Father Peter started our, our opening prayer before we recorded with more mentions of the fire of hell than I think you've ever used in an opening prayer for us before. So, <laughs> you know it's Lent. <laughs> yep. You know, I just got done of uh, hearing, I don't know, three, four hours of confessions. So and I'm kind of. Now up. you're thinking about the fires of hell. So I don't know what to do with that. Well, no, I mean, like, thanks be to God that the Lord rescues us from the fires of hell. Yes, that's true. I need it. Well, we are across the pond still. I'm still in England. You are still in Boulder. And we are still doing this over Skype. And so if there's any technical difficulties, please take it up with Skype. Skype. Yes, Skype. call the Scott Skype hotline, 1-800-WE. Help me Skype. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you are so batty. I kind of like it when you uh, have been <laughs> it's fasting. It's late here. and I'm. It's late. I've been fasting. I've been spending 10 hours a day in libraries writing. Oh, my goodness. So that's how you, that's what you get, man. That's, dude, that's the life of an academic. Well, Certe Lange, um, he says that that is the second most difficult um, labor to do is intellectual oh, labor. Yes. 
manual well, that's good because i feel labored dude yeah you look like you have given labor so it works out <laughs> to, to be that you kind of look like that moment <laughs> that's a do you you're found terrible imagery today i <laughs> know i am not a little bit okay yes you're right a little bit i i confess to you <laughs> and almighty god that i have terrible imagery yeah okay well dude no that's fine so we're th- fully into Lent by the time you're listening to this. Um, and we're going to be talking about the first Sunday of Lent. Yeah, yeah? we're yeah we're like number Which one is, today. It's all about sin. Did you read these readings yet? You can just nod yes or no. You don't have to say it on air. No, <laughs> okay. I haven't. Actually, okay. this is, this is the thing is I'm going, I'm going in worry. totally blind to this no, podcast. No, that's fun because you know these. These are fun. They're all about sin. Oh, oh, the pet. Oh, my pet sin. Dude, I, but there. No, it's from um from um uh, what's that? Brideshead revisited. Oh, I hate that. No, I'm sorry. I, yeah, my I'm gonna stay quiet about that. Okay, yeah, because I'm sure everybody will have opinions on the air about this. So. Okay, well, dude. Yeah, Brideshead revisited. Good. Yeah, you hate that book. No, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't say that. You said that. No, you're right. I did say that, but you implied it. Jesus in I the gospel not. yesterday, he interrupted Peter. And he said, Peter, he, he was like, he was like, Jesus, <laughs> he, had to. he was like, he's like, what about us who's given up land? And, he, and Jesus interrupts. He's like, you will get everything back. Don't even worry. Just Ooh. make the kingdom of God first, dude. Well, he interrupted in a positive sense. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, so these are all about sin, but it's not sin in the way that I actually expected them to be. It's much more nuanced about the nature of sin and stuff. It's crazy. Well, l- t- today we're reading from Genesis chapter 2, 7 through 9. Um, yeah, and then we jump to chapter three, one through seven. Yeah, which is interesting. You guys, I'm learning this just as you're hearing this, so just stick with me, <laughs> and uh, we'll learn. You don't together. have to keep pointing that out. Well, now that th- I'm they repentant, dude, I've been fasting. Oh, okay, I put ashes yeah, on my fair. head and I washed my face, and I've been doing public almsgiving. It's been good. Well, okay, responsorial psalm. That was a, a joke, by the by the do way. Do you know in in England they put the the ash on like your head, your hair? Oh, so dude. I went to breakfast afterwards, and it was like I was putting pepper on my oh on my bread, dude. That's disgusting. That's very Job-like of you, dashing black dandruff. No, putting ashes on your food, man. That's like real <laughs> Old Testament style <laughs> repentance, man. Yeah, it's Lent. Yeah. Okay, Psalm fifty-one. Psalm fifty-one. Um, three, uh, three to four, five to six, yeah. twelve to thirteenth, yep. and seventeen. Hmm. Very good, yes. Um, is, okay, just, yeah, correct me if yep. I'm wrong because I didn't no, read no, these or whatever. No, no, you're good to go, yeah, man. Yeah. Okay, we have Romans 5, 12 mm-hmm. through 19. Mm-hmm. That's your specialty. It's in there, it's in there, yeah. Yep. Okay, and then yep. and then Gospel, Matthew mm-hmm. 4, 1 through 11. There's lots of mm. ones in that particular 1 through 11. Um, yes, there is. Yeah, yeah. The the verses are actually automatopionic. Dude, they sound like how they're spoken. Oh no, they're uh, they're palad- Palin- palindromic. 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 Very good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they're same forward as backwards. Very, very good. You know, I always tip at restaurants with palindrome because I have a little. Tip. I did know that. Yeah, it's a little tip. Interestingly app. enough, I did know. That. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> then, then you can always tell if if they like shanked you. They were like, "Oh, steal from the priest," and I'm like, "How do you? What?" When you reconcile your You'll bank have to explain statement, that to me have you ever rank, reconciled your bank statement? Oh, I see what you mean. So I, I thought you meant right then and there you'd know. No, no, no. So uh, when I reconcile, if a restaurant has um, overcharged me, 
Uh, it's mm. it, they move it at a palindrome, and they're not, and they're moving too fast to think about palindrome. Yeah, they don't care. Twenty-seven seventy-two. What? That's how much my lunch cost today. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's Ash Wednesday, so um, let's get into this, man. Like, I think let's do it, man. I, I I feel good, man. I feel like. Right, it, it, so here's what we're gonna do. Okay. We're just gonna plow through this together. Let's do because this. you're you're fresh on this. I've taken a little look at this, but it's been a long day. So we're just gonna we're just gonna plow in, okay? Okay. So here's where we are, Genesis chapter two, that's verse seven. That's pretty early in the scriptures. It's pretty darn early, and this is this is tough because there's clearly a lot of things the church wants to sort of articulate to us here, but it still jumps, um, and we miss a very important piece in the middle. So here's what it says. The Lord God formed man out of the clay of the ground, the dust, sh- so to speak, which is what you've been telling everyone today. Remember, you are dust. And, and, and you to will dust you shall return. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And then, and then he did CPR because he blew into his nostrils. He the blew of into life. the nostrils. Mm-hmm. And so man. Blew into his nostrils the breath of, breath of life. Breath of life. Breath of life. And so man became a living being. Yay! Good. Then the Lord planted a garden in the Eden in the east, and there he placed the man who he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord God made various trees grow that were delightful to look at, and they were good for food, and for the, and the tree of life in the middle of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> now. <laughs> I, we know each other pretty well, I have to say. that, that Yeah. We, I forget that we're reading this scripture, and I keep on interrupting it. This is my life. This is why I need to repent. I just interrupt the word of God. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, that's all right. I wish there was some way to turn off my own voice in my earpiece, because it's really getting annoying. Oh, is it? But, Do you want to pause for a second? Uh. Can we for well no 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 let's just plow through because then we're gonna lo- we're gonna be in the wrong place it's fine I'll deal with it okay okay so here's what we have to address first this is this age old question that always comes up that people are fascinated about the undergraduates love to complain about why is there this tree of the knowledge of good and evil what is it that God is keeping from humanity because you know this is always the question that comes up with evil if God didn't want evil in the world if God didn't want sin why does he give the possibility of it why does he plant the stinking tree and put it smack in the middle and say don't eat of it right so what yeah. is and what we know the church tradition is very beautiful on this that we we understand that the Genesis narrative can be using figurative language. So was there actually a big tree in the garden? We don't know. It could be that the, the scriptures are using imagery to evoke something. The the cat actually J.R.R. Tolkien talked about this. He said there's some truths that are so profound you have to put them in a in a kind of figurative language to get your head around them, right? Mm, so yeah. was there actually a snake in the garden? Was there an apple? I don't know, but there was something. These are real events. These aren't fairy tales. There's real events and there's poetic language that's being used to describe them. So what is it that God is keeping for himself that man is not to partake in? Well, I feel that's that, the question of the tree, right? Yeah, well, I, I, I think that you're already playing into the same question that Adam and Eve had that, that they were seduced by. What is, God, okay. what is God keeping from me? Yeah, and he is keeping something from them. He's oh. not doing it maliciously as the serpent sort of convinces him he is, mm-hmm. but he is keeping something. Yeah, the knowledge of good so and the evil. the question is what? Yeah. What does that mean, though? Um, 
Um, do you know what the ancients thought? What the ancient rabbis? Let's just talk about them for a second. What do the ancient rabbis think was the knowledge? Well, do you know that word knowledge? Uh, as in, as in knowing, the like the, the marital act of knowing? Yeah, that's the same term that is going to use. It's yada, Y-A-D-A. But it's the same term that's going to be used when Adam knows his wife, you know, to know in the biblical sense and all that. Uh, all so, that yada, so yada, yada. All that. Oh, very good. Oh, that was well done, Father Peter. Hey, come on. I, that's, that's, the, that's biblical humor at its finest. That that really it's up there, yeah, but is. so uh, this isn't just a sexual word. It actually is rarely sexual. What it means is intimacy. Oh, um, a kind of I- interior, inner, deep, uh, intimate knowledge of something. So this is not knowing about good and evil. Adam didn't know about Eve. He actually knew her. So if it's the knowledge of good and evil, it's not. It's not God saying, "Okay, I don't want them. I want them to be ignorant about something." It's not that that they can't have this knowledge because that's just for me. What the ancients understood this to be was the um, kind of intimate ability to decide what is good and evil. That kind of knowledge, to be the arbiter of good and evil. Um, Fancy that we happen to live in a world that we're all convinced that we can decide what is right for us and what is good for you, and what is good for you might not be good for, good for me, and et cetera, et cetera. That's what the ancient Greeks called this hubris, right? Oh, yeah. So, so but that according to the ancients y- is what God is keeping. Mm. Wow. Okay. Which, which, I mean, if you think about it in that words, it says something really profound just about the nature of sin. What is sin? Well, what's the what's the serpent going to tempt them with later on? To be like God. What does it mean to be like God? Well, to, to decide what is good and evil. To be the arbiter, to be the judge of what is right and wrong. That's what, at least the ancients believed, was this knowledge of good and evil. It's not, again, knowing about good and evil, but it's deciding what is good and evil, mm. which they do, because they're going to say, no, I'm deciding God is wrong, and this apple is right for me. Look, it's so beautiful. It's good to the touch. It's, it's pretty to look at. How can it be wrong? Which we say that all the time, don't we? I mean, about all sorts of things. Well, I really love this person. You know, I, I really feel this emotional connection. How can it be wrong, right? Yeah. I mean, we say all this all, all, the, all the time. So we decide. Oof. But that's the heart of the matter. Man, yeah, you're, you're, touching, you're touching like the existential reality of the last four hours of my life of hearing confessions of just, <laughs> yeah. of just, of just being able to say, yeah, 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 I'm not. I, 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 what if what happens if I don't think this is wrong? And you're like, well, then you perish in oh, eternal man. hellfire. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the, it's nice and pastoral. <laughs> you like that? I'm feeling really pastoral today. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's like totally not oh. what I say. Right. That's, that's, that's <laughs> like for the clarification. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Okay. So, but, but this is a subtle reading of this right there's this is the whole thing about the genesis story it's nuance it's subtlety which is why when we jump so now we jump to the introduction of the serpent yeah and it says the serpent was the most this translation says cunning some translations say subtle the most subtle of all the animals which matters because here's the thing the thing that satan's going to and we believe this to be satan but what he's going to tempt mankind with and adam and eve with is not you know, this is how this the evil one works. He doesn't just 
he doesn't just tell us lies. He tells us half-truths, right? He takes something that's good and he twists it. That's what most sin... I mean, there's not a whole lot of people that are going and worshiping Satan and doing black masses and all this stuff. I mean, I know that exists, but the majority of sin is taking something really good and beautiful and taking it out of context or twisting it in the wrong way, right? Human yes. sexuality, which is really good. Food, which is really good. Drink, which is really good. All sorts of stuff, which is really good. Knowledge, which is really good. But then twisting it or taking taking it, grasping at it in, in the way that we're not supposed to do. So he's subtle about what he's doing. So it's important that Genesis points that out, right? Yeah. And then look at what he says. The, he, uh, he was the most cunning of all the animals. The servant asked the woman, did God really tell you not to eat for any of the trees in the garden? And again, this is where it's important what we skipped. That's, n- that's not actually what God said. Do you remember what God actually did say to them? Uh, you can eat of all the trees of the garden except for... No, what? Did yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, ex- except for the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. So do you see the nuance there? The servant just said, oh, did God really say you can't eat any of these trees? Oh, no, God actually said you can trees. eat all yeah. of the trees, just not this one. Yes. And so he's twisting God's words. But look at what Eve does. The woman answered the serpent, no, 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 we may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden. It is only about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden that God said you shall not eat it or even touch it lest you die. Now, what's wrong with that statement? Uh, touch it. This is the thing is that she's attributing to God too yeah. much uh, of uh, overly over commanding like yeah. versus reality. She's, she's twisting his words. Yeah, yeah. She's twisting them. Yeah. So. Um, so, but, so you see the subtlety in all of this, right? Yes. And, well, and, and we less, can go on. I'm not going to read. Die. Well, this is the thing is that get, well, did God say that you were she was going to die? This is the question. I think he did. Yeah. Didn't he? Uh, yeah, and you shall die. It's in verse 17. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the touching is, is, is really the only addition, not the death. The touching is the only addition, but he does say you will die. But, but this matters because it's going to go on. We don't have to read the rest of it, but it's going to go on. And the serpent says, no, no, no. Um, if you eat it, you'll be like God, and you shall not die. So he says exactly the opposite. Okay, God said you're going to die. I'm telling you, you're not going to die. Once they do eat the fruit, what happens? Do they fall down dead on the spot? Nope. So was the serpent serpent right? Nope. <laughs> well, he's ha- but it's a half truth, right? It's a half truth. They don't fall down dead. So it's not he's not completely, you know, he's taking truth and he's twisting it. They don't fall dead, but do they die? Yeah, there's a big time spiritual death that happens here. He says your eyes will be opened. Are their eyes opened when they eat the fruit? Uh-huh. Yeah, but not to this enlightenment that he's promising, but to evil and, and embarrassment and shame and all this other stuff, right? Absolutely. And I, I think even going back one step, like the reality is, is that we, we realize at the end of this passage that Adam was standing here the whole time. Yes, which is huge. And because it's strange. Oh, go for it. <clears throat> well, the one, I mean, the command of God was to, for Adam to shamar, to guard the garden. And right. and so it, it's one of those things where like the the serpent I think has been misinterpreted through the ages like in mm. so down to little garden snake little green garden snake like yeah you what you want to do is eat the fruit and you're like right yeah like that's really scary no I think it was like some gnarly disturbing dragon like <sighs> creature that that ultimately we have to learn about because of Jesus the new Adam who well there's there's 
and how and 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 how what did it look like when the new Adam had to face off against the ancient serpent? And, yes, and there's two things mm-hmm. about that though. Talk to me. Sorry, you still had more. Go for it. No, 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 no. I have many things more. <laughs> yeah, come on, yada yada well, yada. He- Here's the thing. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. Um, the snake is what we always think of. You know, it's what por- is portrayed in art and everything else. Is that a bad thing? Well, uh, no, because again, is there actually a little gardener snake weaving its way around the garden? No, probably not. I mean, <laughs> how do we know that? Well, what's the punishment for the serpent? You shall mm-hmm. crawl on your belly for all the. Uh, Which means that prior to that, what is he not doing? Crawling on his belly. Oh, dude, good call. Yeah, so there's something else. However, the imagery of the snake is actually really helpful because if you if you believe the the most ancient tradition that these are the books of Moses, right? Yeah. Where would Moses be writing these things? Uh, in the desert. Uh, yeah, but where? Well, I guess we don't. Or, yes. Or so or, where is he? Or just when come he's from? shepherding in Midian? I mean, or on the on the uh, holy hill of Sinai? I don't know. So what's on his mind though? What culture has he just come out of? Egypt. Do you know where the snake fits in in Egyptian culture? Oh, oh, talk to me, dog. Now I'm getting excited here. Because Pharaoh, remember Pharaoh? And you, in the movie The Ten Commandments and stuff, remember? He had a cobra on his, what do you call that thing? On His hat. <laughs> his hat. <laughs> I don't his, know what they, his the golden thing. helm. His golden, whatever it's called. But, um, Anyway, the snake, this imagery of the snake was huge in Egypt. It was a god to be worshipped. It was actually believed to be one of the most powerful gods. Remember when uh, Adam, uh, not Adam, when Moses and Pharaoh are kind of facing off, um, they're both throwing down their staffs and they're both becoming snakes or serpents at least. Yeah. The the cobra face on Pharaoh's, what do you call the helm? Thing? Helm. It's not, that's not right, is it? Headdress? It's crown? Helm. Whatever it is, you know the big, the big yeah, yeah, the the thing, the like the like, hey, I'm gonna be entombed thing, yeah. like King Tut thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was a big cobra with red ruby eyes in the middle of it, and they actually believed that if somebody came in and he wanted to do something against the will of Pharaoh, yeah. that that cobra had the power to kill that person dead on the spot. So they believed the snake had incredibly. Uh, these pagan powers. So again, you're in that culture and all of a sudden you see this evil snake weaving its way through the garden. I mean, there's a lot of important imagery that's going to be evoked because that's the imagery of the gods that wanted to take Israel away from the true God back when they were in Egypt and all this stuff. So even that imagery is dangerous. And plus, geez, I mean, just a snake, it's just a freaky thing. You see a snake cross the sidewalk when you're walking you just get freaked out right that's that's what the scriptures are trying to evoke in us we want to be kind of freaked out by this but if you take it the way that you're suggesting which i think is important again this thing wasn't on its belly when we meet him so he has to be doing something else it's the same word that later on is going to be at least transliterated into revelation you know to be a seven-headed dragon and the leviathan of of deuteronomy this huge sea beast it's probably something super intense and super horrifying right so here's this horrifying thing that is, for all intents and purposes, threatening Eve and basically saying, unless you eat this fruit like I'm telling you to do, I'm going to kill you, perhaps. Yeah. Right? He's yeah, saying, yeah. If, you, if, you, if you eat this, you're not going to die. And you can read that in one of two ways, one of which is, if you don't eat it, I will kill you. So... Again, where's Adam the whole time? Like you pointed out, he's standing right there. What was his job? It was to shamar, it was to guard, to protect. Is there, hmm, this is a this is a 
tricky question. Is there evil in the garden before original sin? Well, the serpent's in the garden, and they already oh. are in a perfect harmony with God themselves, their neighbor, and creation. But there is, mm -hmm. but um, the ser the serpent exists already in the garden. Right. Well, are there other snakes in the garden? Probably. Probably. But again, this is the the scriptures are evoking an image here, but there is an evil one, because we know that there was a fall that precedes this right the angels actually had a fall prior to this yeah. so there's already i don't know if you could call that sin per se but there's already the nature of sort of evil floating around otherwise the threat you know when god says you have to guard and protect the garden if there's not a threat if there's not something actually to protect it from yeah then that command is meaningless absolutely so there's already danger there's already bad news out there and um we, but again if you which then, yeah. which then you get into this crazy pattern of man and woman relating to each other, which is, you oh, know, man. I mean, Adam is supposed to step up and actually face off where right. Eve loves her husband. And she's like, right. I love this right. man. I don't want to see this dude get eaten up. So she starts bartering. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, could it be that, and this is what you're alluding to, could it be that what Adam was actually asked to do was sacrifice himself for his wife That is, and put yeah. himself in front of this horrible threatening beast he doesn't do it we're also you know the thing that's so weird about this genesis story and then we'll move on okay is that there's two trees mentioned right there's this other thing called the tree of life in the middle of the garden which genesis doesn't tell us anything else about simply that there is this tree of life which tells me that there was something that adam had recourse to that he didn't take there was access to something there is a tree of life that he could have reached out to, whatever that means, when his life or when his wife's life were threatened. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what that what that is, in, but I know what the fathers all think it was. So anyway, that's our setup. That's a long setup. Well, yeah. Well, hold on. It, but but did did we are we going to answer this question on why the tree is actually in the garden? Which one? <laughs> Which the, tree? The knowledge of good and evil. That's where we started this thing. Oh, well. <laughs> I wasn't planning on it. <laughs> no, well, but we have to realize what the tree is. Again, is there an actual tree? I, I don't know. What it's saying is there is something in the created order, in the order of creation, in the way that our minds work, that is not, that we don't have a right to, right? And God is pointing out, hey, there is something that's not for you. That's something that's that's my prerogative alone. God alone has the rights to certain things, including this, to decide what is good and evil. Again, it's not that he just put a big cupcake in front of them and said, hey, it's Ash Wednesday, you can't eat this, yeah. which somebody actually did today. There was a big chocolate cake in one of the rooms. Anyway. Okay, got it. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm tracking in, in the literary sense, in this arbitration sense of, okay, got it, man. You, like, it's good. My, my brain was so a I little think confused. The point is we're asking the back. wrong questions. Yeah, so we're asking the wrong question when, when we ask that, right? Yep. Because it's not about a tree. No. Okay. Which Fair enough. Yep, fair enough. Which we get into the responsorial psalm, which is an answer to the first reading. Yay! Yeah. Father Andrew Dickinson. Be merciful because we've said. Oh. Father Andy Dickinson gave us a shout out on Twitter. Um, hey! For, for that one. Yeah, yeah. Yahtzee! Well, here's, here's the question, though. So, again, with, with the psalm answering this, be merciful, O Lord, for we have sinned. 
So there's this moment later on when God comes into the garden. You know, Adam and Eve cover up because they're bro- they're broken inside. They're broken with one another. You know, they're afraid of God, all this stuff. Um, but God finds them. He says, what have you done? What should Adam and Eve's response to him be? Repentance immediately. It should be this psalm. Be merciful, Lord, for we have sinned. I love that this psalm is essentially telling us what Adam and Eve should have said. And they didn't say. Instead, they say, oh, no, it's your fault. No, it's her fault. No, it's his fault. No, it's your fault, ultimately, God. Right? I mean, what would have happened had they actually cried out for mercy? We'll never know. But isn't that a profound question to think about? What if Adam had cried out for mercy? Dude, that's crazy, man. Rather than hidden himself and his wife hidden themselves in the garden. And, dude, that, that is like... That is the crazy question. I love it. I mean, it's kind of like in the military. Like if you if you screw up, you just say that you screwed up. But if you hide it, you're yes. gonna you'll, you'll get booted. Oh, it's gonna be so much worse. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's fascinating. Again, we don't know exactly what that would look like, but we have. To, I mean, everything we know about the nature of God revealed in Jesus Christ tells us that that was an option. Actually, you know, I've been digging through a lot of the ancient Jewish literature and the rabbinic texts on this. They all actually say that Adam should have asked of forgiveness. And had he asked for forgiveness, he would have received it and things would have been fine. That's wow. what the ancient, that's what the Midrash says, which it's fascinating. Dude, that's... So, but that's I love a, how the psalm yeah. fills in the gaps for us. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Well, brothers and sisters, one through one man in Romans, it's an end of the world. Yeah, so Romans 5. Uh, so Romans, I think, I think this is part of my whole dissertation argument. I think Romans 5 through 8, Paul's doing a little midrash on the Genesis story. So he's taking the Genesis story and he's sort of um, applying it in this, this unique way. So again, through one man... And sin entered the world, and through sin, death, and thus death came to all men. Now, again, we're not just talking about physical death because that's they didn't fall down dead on the spot. We're talking about a spiritual death, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and thus death came to all men as much as all have sinned. Now, when the Bible says all have sinned, I don't think it means, and this is something we get into debates with with some of our Protestant friends, it doesn't mean every single person has committed a sin. I mean, a, a baby who's just, you know, been born can't commit a sin what it means is that the nature of sin is universal we can't escape it we're stuck with it we're born into the world that is defined by sin and death and all that yeah and that's just original sin that's just that's just uh as uh jane's addiction would say that's just unconscious knowledge man yeah yeah unfortunately some of our lutheran friends would disagree with us on that and say no 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 even the temptation to sin is already sin you have sinned if you're tempted, da 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 da, which is dangerous territory, especially for where our gospel is going. Yeah, but but here's here's back to your point in Genesis. So why does all this make sense? So if Paul's going to go on in this passage about how Jesus is faithful precisely where Adam was unfaithful, and he reverses what Adam did, again go back to to the theory you put out there. What if this serpent is a big terrifying monster who's threatening the life of Adam's bride? What if what Adam was supposed to do was, again, be willing to sacrifice himself for his bride? Because think about it. How does Jesus reverse precisely what Adam did? Well, he dies. is killed for his bride. He, lays he sacrifices down, himself for his bride. Yeah, he lies, lays down his life willingly for his bride. 
Exactly. And I've never understood. I mean, I don't know if that's, you know, this is speculation, but other than, otherwise, I don't think what Paul's saying about Christ fully makes sense unless Adam faced a little bit more of a a threat than maybe we sometimes think he did. It wasn't just saying, hey, look how pretty this apple is. It's saying, hey, do you want, you know, are you going to follow self-preservation or are you going to do what I asked you to do and actually defend and protect? That's a much bigger question than, isn't this apple pretty? I mean, we're dealing with people who don't have concupiscence. They're not prone to sin in the way that we all are. And even I wouldn't fall for eating a apple. You know what I mean? There's got to be more to this picture. And if Jesus is f- faithful precisely where he's unfaithful and what he does is die, yes. it tells you something about what Adam was supposed to do. Absolutely it does. And then and then what Jesus actually does do in, uh, in acquittal, I, I think it's funny because the, the, the word acquittal just keeps on being brought up. And and if we're the uh, you know arbiters and acquittal, like there's there's a lot oh. of like justice language being used right here, and so yeah. so like if you become an arbiter of what's good and evil, what is the what is the a great assist? It's actually the the moral authority teaching factor in the church, because oh. <laughs> and and to say though that you 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 will you are subject and. We're going to actually make sure that that's a reality that is enduring and permanent so that you yeah. you can live the obedience of faith, which is what we have Ooh. to do. Wow. That's good. Mm. That's a really good application. Thank you. Let's work, Father Peter. What's up? You know, I'm, I, I know how to apply, man. DJ Little Echo. Little Echo. Um, dude, Little Echo. let's get into the Matthew gospel thing. Gospel. All right, so Matthew four. Oh wow, we've uh, we've gone in reverse. So well, because it's a different season, but we've jumped um, really just. So in the last few weeks, we've been in the in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Yep. Now Matthew jumps us back to the period just before the Sermon on the Mount. So the Sermon on the Mount begins in chapter five. This is chapter four. So. Again, if you put this in context, this is the the moment where Jesus is led out into the desert to be tempted for the 40 days, right? Which is obvious why we're hearing that at the beginning of Lent. <laughs> but to put it in context, though, what is? do you remember what just happened to Jesus? Um, he was just baptized. He was just baptized. And a lot of the fathers said it is his baptism that actually sort of prompts this moment what happens when you're baptized i mean he's baptized that's when the, the the skies open they're ripped open and the father says this is my beloved son with whom i am well pleased that's royal language from the psalms and from and from uh, samuel so he's been anointed king what's the first thing he does as king and as a baptized person well he's let out to be tempted right so what does that say about the christian faith if we're willing to accept it we're going to be Tempted. We're going to be put to the test. It's really interesting because I find that um, just in my preaching recently, I've been trying to convince people that um, this this is a good path. This is the best path. In fact, I believe it's the only path to follow after Christ. Mm. But it does mm. not mean that it is an easy path, and that that in fact it's actually no. it, the path. Whether you want it to be, is fraught with dangers and temptations yeah. and difficulties where as life in Christ actually brings remedy, but it also brings the the reality of the situation directly to your eyes. And so 
I think that mm. I mean all of the people are, have to go through these things. I mean they I mean not the same way that Jesus did, but temptation to make food their god, to have power in the world, and to to these sorts of things, and to to um be um um you know um, um self protected. You know so yeah. Yeah. Well, which goes back to Genesis, right? The whole self-protection. Oh. What does Adam grasp onto? It's self-protection, presumably. Wow. Yeah. Ooh. I mean, again, we're speculating a little bit, but that ties in perfectly. Because you see, that's the human temptation. That's what we want to do. Whereas Jesus, what he does is he goes and he overcomes it. And the beautiful thing about right. the Christian life is that it's not that we're going to go and overcome it like manually. Right. What happens is we right. attach ourselves to Christ. In our baptism, we're baptized right. into Christ, and we just join in the right. victory. Yeah. You just join. Which is hard. Which is easier said than done. You, you, you ain't. <laughs> you don't have to <laughs> preach to me on that one, brother. <laughs> it's the truth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, man, it is really. But it's it, hard to join yourself more and more entirely to Christ because all of these things because um, our lives are intimidating and we oftentimes don't trust in the mm. providential nature of God that he's going to provide. Yeah, and we also can't forget that, I mean, even that, it's it's nice and pious to sit and say, well, no, I'm going to trust in the providential power of God and da-da-da-da. But, uh, I mean, look, the, the, the evil one in his testing of Jesus follows the same pattern he followed with Eve. He's It's these subtleties. It's It's the nuances that he's trying to trick him with, right? I mean, he obviously doesn't, I don't think, know who he's dealing with. But this is not, I think what these readings are showing us, sin is not really always, well, it is a black and white issue, but it doesn't always appear as a black and white issue, right? It's not just, we're going to get thrown in these temptations, you know, here, worship Satan. No, I'm not going to worship Satan. No, that's not how it happens. We're going to be... We're going to be throwing good things in the world and the culture and the media. They're going to throw these things that seem like great goods. Well, yeah, that does make sense, right? Yeah. How can the church? The church must be wrong on that. But it's it's nuanced. It's subtle. And it's so dangerous. And we see with the comparison between Genesis and Matthew, I mean, the serpent hasn't changed very much, right? It's the same. <laughs> it's the same old crap that he's spitting out. Yeah. But Jesus catches the tricks. He catches the trap. And what does he do? Like you pointed out, he doesn't go for self-preservation. Even in the points of, you know, well, he doesn't go for self-preservation. He goes for self-denial, which is what he's doing out in the wilderness for 40 days. So why do we have to go through this Lent? Because if Jesus did it, that means we're called to do it too. And we actually have the grace to do it in a way that Eve never had. Even though she didn't have concubiscence, even though Adam and Eve didn't have the propensity to sin... They don't have anything like what we actually have in Christ now. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's beautiful. I actually am really happy you just said that because, you, you know, sometimes you can you can be ide- – I can idealize Adam and Eve. Uh. But the, and, and I said, you know that I get mad at Adam a lot? Like, like in my <laughs> prayer, I'll be like, Adam, what did you do, bro? Come on, man. Like, this is – Come rough. on. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, he is a but he didn't have grace. Jerk. He didn't have grace. He didn't have it. I mean, he had, yeah, a, he, had I, he had a relationship with the Lord in a very, very clear way, but he was not invited yes. into the power or even in the inner life of God. He remained yeah. outside looking in, though outside. it was a relationship. Whereas with us, we've been invited into that relationship, which is mystical. I can't even grasp that. Oh, happy fault. Yeah. No necessary sin of Adam.
that's that, that one always freaks me out i like i i, I it, talk about it like i can't i i don't even know how to deal with that one but i get it and like well, in because, my best moments i'm yeah. like yeah this is yeah and in my worst moments i'm well, like just, ah. well just because of what we're saying though because we have grace that they never had they didn't have that oh oh happy fault that we have this now we have to deal with all the crap that comes along with it yeah we do <laughs> well that sure. comes along with what they did but yeah man well, so so did we did we pull this together? Are we are we there? Like, okay, we have. Uh, I think so. so. You know, do you not see it? Well, self preservation. Well, ultimately, no. I see it. I'm just I'm just looking, and I'm just thinking about the psalm <sighs> and, and and this mission, yeah. and like like be merciful, O Lord, because like self preservation isn't something that we do like uh, like self protection. It's it's the difference. It's like mm-hmm. it's like uncovering your shame before the Lord. It's like Adam needed to do that, and like. And in some ways, that's a little yeah. bit of what we're doing in Lent right now. Is this like, mm. I gotta uncover the reality that, like, dude, I I, I struggle to be self possessed. I I struggle to live yeah. the, the the obedience of faith and the moral responsibility. And like, but like it, it, today, I mean, it's like four hours of confession and watching people just kind of uncover their shame before the Lord. Like, mm. it's beautiful and and it's always it's always good when somebody else does it. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I do. It's so hard individually for us. I like I can look and say Psalm fifty-one. Yeah, dude, that's good. It's good repentance. Where I have to go to confession, and I'm like, oh man, that's hard. Like I, I like. I've got to say that. Yeah, like, and then, yeah, and so, <clears throat> but, and and then we actually have sinned. It's not just an ideal thing, but like, now Jesus reigns and and not no. sin it does he has one he took us through the desert and so we don't have to worry like he's he has put the whoop on the devil like like we have a protector we have a savior we don't have to just try to think that we're running this gig alone yeah so i don't know that's how kind man. of how i put it together like that i think that's a good thread man i think that's it i think that's it mm-hmm. <laughs> well <sighs> dude i want to attach to the lord more and more because um yeah. i need i need i need his love it's ash wednesday tell me about it man i i want yeah. my belly to be full and it is not <laughs> well i have the benefit that i get to go to sleep right after this so oh yeah what time what time the is it there? The day. it's uh, a little after it's almost ten thirty. oh dude well you're gonna sleep great do you have, what time did you get up in the morning um six Oh man! Well, hey, sleep fast, uh, and all those people who are listening to the, us as they're going to sleep, um, <laughs> you, you don't listen to media. We'll be in your dreams. We'll be in your dreams, dude. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. That is so bizarre. Wait. I if you if we show up in your dreams, you guys please let us know, and and um, we will <laughs> we will assist you with counseling. Um, that is oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, we'll pay for it. Yeah, we'll pay for it. Well, because. Uh, Father Peter will. <laughs> I will not do I'm that. I'm sure we have a budget for that. Yeah, we do. We have a line item for therapy okay. for lanky guys, uh, listeners, <laughs> for the trauma that we've caused them in their. Uh, yeah, so. We should. Hey, you well, guys. I'll be back in Boulder next week. I'm really So we'll be back together, that. sitting on our familiar couch, eating our lunch. Yeah, dude, I'm, ex- I'm, I'm excited. So God bless you. Fast well. Do not end in quarreling. <laughs> um, but comb your hair, wash your face, brush your teeth. <laughs> Do some jumping jacks and um, do check us out on Facebook. Um, check mm. us out on ThomasCenter.org. Um, yeah, check us out. That's true. 
tickety 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 tick. Right? Yep. The only three places we actually are are Facebook, ThomasCenter.org, and Twitter. Although. It's just my Twitter well, the Aquinas feed. Institute is Twitter. Yeah. Well, the Aquinas Institute. Oh, so we're double Remember, Twitter. our tagline at the end, the Word on the Hill, is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. Yay! See you soon, friends. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.